You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Mason Pasha. We are in a time of radical uncertainty, but also radical opportunity. With both global and national challenges spreading wider and faster than ever before, often the only way forward is together. But how do we as a smattering of organizations and individuals move together collectively? How does leadership adapt when confronted with challenges that only collective imagination and action can solve? Today, I'm joined by two individuals from America's Promise Alliance, an organization that weaves people and organizations together for a positive impact. Mike O'Brien, CEO of America's Promise Alliance, and Parvathy Sandosh Kumar, their VP of Community Impact. Welcome. So good to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Mike, would you mind giving me the origin story of APA? Yeah, America's Promise Alliance was founded more than 25 years ago. Uh, it was the genesis of an unlikely alliance that included the five living presidents at the time. Uh, and the idea was there should be a more coordinated, aligned, organized national effort to make sure the next generation of young people had what they needed to thrive and to lead. It was initially a convening those five presidents held a summit 1997 in Philadelphia. Uh, they recruited Cole Powell to be the first person to run the organization. And uh, people came to that summit, uh, governors, mayors, corporate leaders, nonprofit leaders, and made commitments on ways they could tangibly improve the lives of young people in their community and, and sort of went home and did them. Uh, out of that initial summit uh, emerged a five promise framework that was about the five fundamental promises that should be true for all young people in this country. And then over 25 years, the organization kept finding different ways to manifest that original vision that, uh, that sort of aligned with the, the needs and the dynamics uh, of the country as, as we evolved in this work. I love it. And, and how'd you find your way there? I started my career uh, way back when as a high school teacher in Brooklyn, New York City. Uh, through that experience, I got really fascinated by the role that relationships played inside of schools and in education and wanted to work on that. That led me to spend 17 years working in an organization called iMentor, which helped first-generation college students on the path to post-secondary success. 17 years of running and scaling a single direct service organization. Um, helped me get a deep appreciation for the collective wisdom and power that lived across so many uh, incredible organizations and leaders. Um, but I also saw the way that that didn't actually move around the field very effectively. And so the opportunity to work on that challenge uh, at a time when it feels like so much are up for grabs in our work and in our country was, um, was really inspiring to me. And then Parv, how about you? How did you find your way to America's Promise Alliance? So I grew up moving around every few years as a kid and was always curious about why places shape who we are and who we become and was really just hungry to shape the like the architecture of how systems and supports work for young people. And I'm, I'm about a year into my tenure at APA and really just energized about the power of unleashing the like potential of the leading youth supporting organizations across the country. How can we all come together both to improve our own organizations at scale, but then work differently together to pursue real change that can improve outcomes for every next generation. Kind of on that subject, in 2021, you all went on this 188 organization listening tour to glean insights from a bunch of different communities. Um, I'm curious what you learned 
as you were sort of conducting this research about kind of regional initiatives and uh, sort of how those stack together to form the bigger picture? Yeah, in 2021, we were we set out to kind of find the man, modern manifestation of this original vision of what a more aligned and organized effort on behalf of the next generation might look like. And obviously, it was a fascinating time uh, to be doing that. And so we went out and talked to the organizations that were on the front lines of doing that work. And we really set out to learn two different things. One, we wanted to understand how people uh, were experiencing the dynamics of the moment, what was the stuff that they most valued, wanted, and needed. Uh, and second, we wanted to learn about people's experiences in other collective impact spaces and if and when they, they filled their potential and, and why they might have fallen short of that potential. And, you know, the very short summary of that very long listening tour is in terms of dynamics of the moment and at a more human level, it's just a time when leaders were faced with more urgent, complex, and fluent questions than they had ever faced before. Uh, it meant there was a way deeper than normal desire to see outside of the four walls of your own organization and to see how other leaders and other organizations were wrestling with similar challenges. That led us to this reimagining of the Alliance and America's Promise Alliance and the launch of this new practitioners community as the centerpiece of what we would try to do. You were talking about this platform, this practitioner kind of sharing platform. Um, you've got a lot sort of within your resources about this idea of field building um, to kind of help people come together. Uh, question for either of you, but yeah, just get, pay me a picture of where that is today. What are the tools and sort of the, the mechanisms that keep that going? I think the things that we heard most from folks on the listening tour that led to the community we ended up designing was a combination of uh, typically it's only the CEOs of these organizations that get invited to all these collective impact tables. That is not only a bottleneck for all the learning and sharing and collaboration that can take place among organizations, but it also means we're not investing in that broader bench of leader. And so in our community, it's the full executive teams of our member organizations. We heard feedback that typically it's philanthropy that is the primary convener and field builder in the space. And no matter how much people loved and appreciated their funders, there just wasn't enough candor in those conversations for people to bring this stuff that they were truly most struggling with. So folks wanted this independent by us, for us, practitioners community. The third thing we heard is that young people's lived experiences are at the intersection of multiple issue areas, but too often in the field, we organize in smaller silos, just the K-12 people talking to the K-12 people or the workforce people talking to the workforce people. So folks wanted uh, a broader set of organizations that encompassed those sort of intersecting issue areas. And then the last one was just, you know, a lot of these collective impact spaces people had been in previously, people felt like they were always chasing the shiny new thing. And it never really centered their day job, their priorities and what they were trying to get done this year. And people were saying like, on the merits, we miss organizational improvement as this massive lever for improving outcomes uh, by chasing the shiny new thing. But on a more human level, folks were just saying, I wanna start by being a part of a community that helps me with the most important stuff I'm trying to get done. Parv, do you, does this look like a platform for engagement? Is this primarily like a system of convenings? Like how do, how do people actually kind of connect now that you have sort of done some of this work of sourcing that feedback? So just to paint a picture of what Alliance members 
look like in community. I mean, we're bringing together the leading youth supporting organizations across the country, across these issue areas, K-12, health recovery and education, post-secondary to workforce pathways, civic engagement and democracy. And we've got five senior leaders from each of these organizations that are opting into our spaces, our alliance programming. Just this year alone, we've stewarded over 200 unique alliance community spaces. These are primarily virtual Zoom rooms and spaces where we're bringing together leaders and they really range, right? So you can have these intimate leadership cohorts where groups of eight to 10 leaders in similar roles and similar sized organizations are coming together for three hours every month for a 24-month commitment. So they're showing up for three hours a month every month with the same group of leaders pouring their souls out um, with one another and kind of getting that community and support, that home team. That's like one type of engagement. We've got these intensive capacity building programs where people are really kind of meeting the moment of the most emerging needs in the sector and not just working on theories and frameworks, but really driving towards tangible implementation of like the practical action plans they need to improve their day-to-day work. Then we've got these really candid conversations, candid community collaborations where people are really coming together for the, like, here are the responsive topics that people are, like, what's keeping leaders up at night? What are the conversations people need to be having? What do you need to be able to listen and hear from other leaders across the sector to kind of see inside the four walls of another organization to feel less lonely in your work, to get support, to get ideas, to drive action that ultimately gets to kind of increasing how your organization does your work better, but then also kind of seeding these powerful ideas across organizations as well. It's a beautiful image of um, a bunch of leaders being okay saying, I don't know, is what that sounds like, which is a really kind of um, incredibly different approach to problems than I think we've seen for the last few decades. It truly is humbling to see the like the hunger for this type of convening space where that is this truly by practitioners for practitioners place where you almost see leaders showing up with their shoes off, right? It's like not the conference stage conversation. It's not the shiny talking points that you say to your funders and briefings. But it's like the real story of what's happening behind the scenes in organizations and people are supporting each other day in and day out and keep coming back for more. Like we see leaders showing up month after month in these different types of programming um, and and continuing to show up and asking for more types of spaces like this. The other thing I think that happened was just this really simple technical innovation where like we moved from a conference model where you had to you know, a couple times a year, hop on a plane and go to a conference to we can convene leaders across geography about a very specific topic in in really specific ways. And so the normalization of, of working online in these ways um, just kind of exploded the different options and opportunities for how we could get people together around the things that were most relevant to their work and to the outcomes they were trying to generate. What's like a, a tangible story of like a, a group of leaders that either resulted in an action or just like thinking about something differently? What are those like a couple of those ecosystem players, like a challenge they were faced with and then sort of like the resolution that um, they either arrived at or were OK to not arrive at? 
There are so many examples. I'll, I'll kick things off with one that I'm super excited about, which is we have a group of 16 organizations right now that are part of a year-long series focused on managing Engine 1 and Engine 2 innovation. So I feel like this idea caught fire with an article about Engine 1, Engine 2 that was in SSIR a while back of how do organizations keep their core work and services moving while confronting the need for innovation and working with different populations at scale in different ways. And so like, how do you keep your core work moving your engine one while simultaneously building these new methods or innovation models to achieve greater impact at greater scale? And so we, this, I, this concept came to us um, through one of our leaders who kind of wanted to share and speak candidly about her experience kind of navigating this in her organization. And we had a community conversation about this where like over 50 leaders showed up and were really interested to learn more to the point where we had multiple folks asking, we need some real intensive programming about this. And that led to the creation of this year-long series where we have every month, this group of 16 organizations are coming together to kind of move their own individual action plan forward on their engine to move. And uh, maybe just to add a couple more examples. So this community in less than 24 months has grown to 100 organizations and 500 leaders. The thing that is universal across all these organizations are the ways they are trying to get better. And that encompasses uh, scale their reach and increase their impact. It encompasses how they innovate and evolve effectively. And it encompasses how they become more effective and equitable uh, institutions. Uh, and so just this year, a bunch of organizations have come together to talk about how do they respond to the uh, the increase in youth mental health needs that everybody's seeing across the sector. A bunch of them have come together around the new legislation that's cropping up in schools that's either uh, changing growth trajectories for them or challenging their ability to work in schools. They've come together around uh, things like you get this massive Mackenzie Scott gift and how do you, uh, how do you best use it? How do you make, set yourself up for sustainability once it's gone? Uh, to give you a sense of the variety of the types of things that folks are getting together. But if we're doing our job correctly, the, the value that we bring to help each individual organization improve develops those relationships and the, and that trust among organizations and then what that's supposed to position us to do is find these opportunities that are too big for any single organization to achieve on their own, uh, but where really powerful coalitions of multiple organizations can uh, unlock new opportunities. And so ideas have emerged there that include a youth mental health institute that would train and support frontline staff and all these member organizations to better meet the mental health needs of the young people they serve. It includes a teacher certification play that would allow youth development practitioners who have been in schools and working with young people for the first part of their careers to get certified as teachers and become a more reliable pipeline uh, to diverse and experienced teaching talent in schools. It includes new AI and ed tech tools that can streamline and improve the quality of the college process. Um, and it includes the way we might organize the non-college post-secondary pathways that are proliferating right now, but where there's not real visibility on, on, um, on outcomes. 
an experience for young people. And so we're starting to see what we hope we would see, which is if you can bring people together around this universal stuff, will it then allow you to see opportunities for collective impact? Uh, and then if you call those plays, will people will keep people come behind you in that work? And what's really powerful about the by practitioners for practitioners community that we have is that like all of our work is opt-in. So like organizations join the alliance and they have this five senior leaders who are participants in the alliance. And then they as individuals and organizations get to decide like what is value add for me and my organization, what we're facing day to day, month to month. And that could be a combination of multiple people participating in the leadership cohorts to participating in this capacity building work and then joining the coalition or participating in our shared research work or and or. And so you see lots of variability in in terms of how organizations are showing up and engaging in these spaces. But what's really powerful to see across the board is that you're seeing engagement from lots of different types of senior leaders, like not just CEOs, not just program staff, but, but senior leaders across the board. That's really cool. Um, I'm I'm curious because we kind of touched on this, but when you were doing the listening tour, I, I'm always curious about how like local, national, global sort of like stack and whether or not people are sort of encountering the same thing or if it's just like these really different um, like slight alterations that make a big difference in each different community. So how are you approaching kind of like taking this national network of organizations and having kind of localized impact and just walk me through sort of that um, thought process or the design parameters you've put in place for that? So the design instinct for us was if we want to improve uh, outcomes in our issue areas, then we're going to need the biggest and best national organizations to be a part of this community. And then simultaneously, if we are a field building effort, uh, then working with the smaller, local, more proximate organizations who have historically had less access to these national networks and supports was a really important part of how uh, we could accelerate the progress of the field overall. And so um, the question then became, how do you do that in like a coherent way? The strategy that we developed is um, what we think of as a partner city strategy, where we go into a, a single city we recruit 20 to 40 organizations from that city, uh, specifically focused on those smaller up and coming organizations. That allows us to build greater connectivity in that city, connect uh, practitioners in that city with organizations from other similar sized cities to learn from each other and connect them with the leading uh, national organizations. It also then gives us uh, roots in cities across the country for a lot of our place-based collective action work. and so. We're uh, on our way to launching three cities this year. Detroit, Atlanta, and Denver look like they will be the first three. And so this hybrid local national network um, for us, I think, will look like these partner cities uh, in communities across the country and bringing them into community with with these larger national organizations. Yeah, that, that's also um, as a cool model because I feel like the partner city almost would function like a taproot where you could like go a little bit deeper and make sure that you're still never getting too far away from the actual like day-to-day challenges people are having. So I, I love that approach. That's awesome. What these So these cities kind of opting in, is the goal for them to have sort of a like a local cohort that would then be sort of meeting on a more regular basis that sometimes maps out into the national or like, is it really just about sort of 
crowdsourcing these voices up and then you're just it's all more about the the top level um, organization that you all are engaging with no it's it's absolutely about identifying local priorities and mobilizing people towards those local goals and giving people access to this big broader community the national programming and the national collective impact initiatives that we have going on so each city is run by a local executive director who's an experienced and respected leader in that city. It's their job to grow that community over time and to identify those uh, those local priorities and initiatives and to mobilize folks around them. And then you also get connected to great folks in other cities and national works. As you know, our audience is primarily people within kind of K-12 education spaces um, and leaders in that. So this idea of field building, sort of this idea of collective action, what would your advice, I guess, be to like a K-12 leader on how to either engage in sort of the movements that you all are building in these cities or how to sort of view that as a model of how to learn and mobilize and then tell them to sort of um, either construct it or like find that network for their own community? Recently, Kim Smith was on the Getting Smart podcast and spoke about how like innovators and change makers are often working in really fragmented ways and that we have to engage in much broader coalitions of unlikely allies to re-architect our education systems. And when I look at who is involved in our alliance community, so many of these organizations are deeply working and partnering alongside the K-12 education system in lots of different ways during school, before school, after school, over the summer, beyond. And so thinking about how can we kind of work more powerfully together in coalition with one another towards these shared outcomes that we have for young people to, to get more people on the path to you know, better education and life outcomes overall. And I think so much of it comes down to creating those spaces for that candor and radical support of one another across sectors as well. There's this really interesting intersection between the sort of radical self-interest of the people that are getting involved and the thing that no and the things that no one organization can accomplish on their own. And if you design for that intersection, Uh, where you're helping people out with their immediate priorities in ways that they're not able to do on their own. I think that's a lane that's like uniquely uh, powerful for field building. I think that secondly, sometimes when we talk about field building, we talk about the big lofty ideas that we are trying to make true in the world over time um, that we don't actually get to like actionable, practical things that we are trying to do together. So we forget to take first steps in service of uh, these long range goals that we have for each other. And people evaluate whether they're going to spend time with you based on those first steps and based on whether you can. And so I think it's like focusing on those base hits for us has, has allowed us to build real commitment over time. For sure. Yeah. I've, I feel like I've been, um, really thinking about how community organizing is really like the skill of the future. It's sort of like every problem now is too big for one person to solve. And so like, how do, how are we learning these skills and how is everybody kind of able to, able to, uh, align, gather and like implement or act as a result. Um, there was a great conversation on 
the Baratunde How to Citizen podcast with a, a guy named John Alexander who runs the New Citizenship Project, I think, which is in the UK. Uh, and he, he had like a very simple four-step process for change making. And it was find home, find others, uh, find an idea that's too big for you to solve alone, and then come up with the first step. And it's like just a really nice kind of succinct way. But I hear a lot of that in what you're saying. It's like this thing about what is the like all these challenges too big for us to solve on our own. Um, like so much of this is about shrinking the change, right? Like we're working on these really long-term goals that will take a long time and a lot of resilience and patience to get there. And that part of our role is helping people shrink the change and work in really practical and tangible ways to make it possible. Absolutely. So uh, aside from this podcast, where are these findings that you're having going to show up for people over the years? So like as you continue to have this kind of collective organization growing, I assume there's going to be resources and sort of discoveries that are coming out. And obviously, like a leader in a school district might not be the audience to join your um, alliance. Like that just might not make sense. But there's so many of these things that, as we've discussed, can be kind of pointed at them as like, Hey, these are really great, like change making and collective action tools. Um, so what, what might some of those tools look like in the future and where could people find them? I think the best place to find our stuff is just to go to our website, americaspromise.org. And, um, uh, I think we will be sharing more on what we believed and what we've demonstrated around field building. Uh, we will have the initiatives that we are launching with all these organizations that will absolutely be partnering with schools and districts across the country. And there'll be ways for uh, school leaders in different places to um, to get involved with the, those different initiatives. And then we're running a big research effort every year where um, we set an annual research agenda and then we go out and do youth-centered research against that research agenda. And that's our, um, that's our lever as a community for driving the conversation and investment each year. And so um, that annual research will also be published on our website and I think will be um, focused on a very similar set of issues that are on the mind of educators and leaders in, in K-12 schools across country. Mike? Parv, thank you so much for being here. It was great to meet you both. And thanks for doing this amazing work. Keep it up. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.